Welcome to the series called A Conversation, where we want to challenge you to think about life related to faith beyond the normal boundaries of right and wrong. Each episode features a different topic and guest, but our goal of exploring the in-between remains the same. By offering these different perspectives, we encourage you to draw your own conclusions. We hope that you leave today with more questions than answers. Thanks for joining our conversation. So welcome to the third episode of this series. Today with me is Mr. McFarland, and we're going to be discussing about the church more as a whole. Um, I think people have really different experiences with the church, and today we just wanted to address how the church can be both what we call a toxin and also an antidote, and how to approach different uh, scenarios in life with the knowledge that uh, we belong to this institution, I guess you could say, that has been very hurtful to people in the past and having that humility there. So Mr. McFarland, this is something that you talk about a lot in your class. Where did you first encounter this idea of toxin and antidote? Great to be on here, Mona. This is awesome. Oh, Great idea. <laughs> um, it's all good. Uh, yeah, the, the whole the whole idea of toxin and antidote, which this preceded like this whole pandemic thing, <laughs> like, you know, the idea uh, sort of having this analogy, but that came to me through a, a host of readings and different people that I've encountered who are well aware of this conversation, hence we call it a conversation, between this idea that the church or things being done, like religion is the broader category, right? Things being done in the name of God, which has been going on for a very long time, that are problematic, that we might label as or call the toxin, that takes human conflict, that takes things that are not right in our world and actually makes it worse, right? Like that can, that can actually uh, advance things that are not positive. Well, at the same time, you have people on the other side of the aisle uh, in this conversation who are saying, no, 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 but actually like religion, or if I can go down to the level we would speak, oh, Jesus is the answer, right? Like Jesus will deliver us from this, or that the church has a message of hope to proclaim. And how do we square that circle is sort of how this whole thing started. How do we have, on the one hand, uh, a whole group of people who see religion as the worst possible thing that is actually the root of all evil. And then you have other people on the other side who are saying, no, this is actually how we get ourselves out of the mess. That, to me, um, I don't know if I coined the phrase toxin antidote. That's something that we talked about in our class. Um, one scholar, thinker that I would give credit to, and I think I gave this reading when we were in IB, is Pastor Timothy Keller, Tim Keller. He talks about this in one of his books uh, about the, he calls it the biblical critique of religion. So the Bible itself critiques religion. And so he goes back and forth with this. And I, I took that and then started to apply it to current events, to social studies and to history. So just so we're all on the same page, as a history teacher, you're probably very familiar with how the Bible has been used to um, support like evil things, but maybe not everyone's on the same page. So yeah. what are some examples of how that's happened in the past and is still happening right now? Ah, great question. I think probably the... Um, 
there's two that sort of bubble up to me, uh, bubble up to the surface. Uh, one of them would be slavery as a historical issue. And by that, I mean um, what's called chattel slavery, uh, particularly the transatlantic slave trade, race-based um, slave systems, economic systems that were supported by, that were approved by, even justified by particular groups of Christians, namely colonial uh, American Christians, um, Christians in parts of South America who were slave holders and owners and who not only, it's not like they were trying, like we might say, oh, they're twisting the Bible, right? Or they're misapplying it. I would say they're misinterpreting or misapplying it. They viewed it as, a, as entirely legitimate, right? That this is, this is, I'm going to use a fancy word, phrase, this is God-ordained. God means for this to happen, right? Or, or this is our God-given right or, or something like that. And then the flip side where you see that antidote coming in, of course, it, historically, the famous example is the abolitionist movement. So the organized political movement that was led largely by followers of Jesus, uh, believing Christians, who saw this as completely antithetical, as completely an affront to the biblical vision of justice and harmony and peace and sort of the brotherhood, to use a phrase, uh, of humanity. And so you have these two, you have two groups that are reading the same book and they arrive at different conclusions. So that would be one big sort of historical example. And the other one that's really present in our time, of course, is around gender, uh, gender relations, uh, the relationship between the genders and, and the idea of, of equality, ideas of, of value and worth, and even particular gender roles. There are more traditional conservative readings of that and there are more uh, progressive, um, egalitarian, equality-driven messages, both both coming from uh, the Bible. So um, if I can put it this way, and I, I quoted Tim Keller, one of the other voices that is deeply meaningful was an author and a writer uh, named Rachel Held Evans. And if you've been in any of my classes, students who are watching this, you know that I use a uh, number of her books. And she talks about, um, it, she uses sort of this back and forth because she's playing with this idea as well. She says, if you want to go to the Bible, and if you want to find verses, like let's say we want to find chapter and verse, if you want to find verses or themes that seem to support the idea of slavery and people owning other people, slaves obey your masters kind of thing, you'll find it in the text. If you want to go to the text and find abolition themes, right, of uh, setting prisoners free and chains being broken, you know, th that theme, that's biblical as well. You'll find it in there. If you want to find uh, what appears to be sort of oppressive um, gender hierarchy, um, patriarchal views, uh, they're in there. They're in the Bible. If you want to find uh, liberation views and views of equality and Jesus sort of uh, shattering those norms, you'll find those as well. So, so I'm giving full credit to Rachel Held Evans, who says, really, it's around, in, it's how you read the text. It, maybe it's not so much what the text is saying to us, it's what we are bringing to the text, that we'd right. like the text, text to, to say to us and speak to us. So it's yeah. not relative, it's not it just says anything you want to see, but I think it tells us something about what are the assumptions that we, we bring to the text, what are the assumptions we bring to, to church and to religion and to our, our views about God. So if I say one more thing, um, Theologically, 
uh, we would say as Christians, you know, God is the same. This is biblical, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. Uh, guess what does change? Or to use one of the phrases we use often, that one of the only constants in life is, is constant change, right? Everything changes. Everything is changing. Our views of religion and faith and God, those things are adapting. We might even say they're evolving. And they're, we're constantly uh, revising those things. But the God uh, who made the universe does not change, but our, our perspectives do. As we grow and we learn, that happens in community, that happens with the role of the Spirit, on and on we go. Um, but I see that playing out in, uh, in history and in current events. That's really interesting. For those of you guys that listened to our past episode, uh, what Mr. McFarland was saying is very similar to God is always constant. So there is this mm. uh, capital T truth, but where the grace is, right. comes in is where there's change. And so back to what you said about um, what Rachel said about how we get out of the text what we bring to it. How do you think we should properly, if there is such a thing as properly reading the Bible, like to mm, get what yeah. God is actually trying to say to us? Because I can say with absolute certainty, God yeah. does not support racism, right? But for those that say, but look, they're in the Bible, like how do we read it? Mm. Yeah, this, again, we're talking about subjectivity, right? And so we bring our sort of our subjective, even our agendas, my goodness, right? People have agendas that they're bringing to the text. I don't know in our human condition if we can ever escape that. Um, even people who think they're doing, the, you know, the capital T truth, um, being faithful to the text, we all think we're being faithful, but like sincerely faithful to the text. This is why we have you know, 11,000 different denominations, Christian denominations in the world, right? Because everybody is bringing their version of what they think is the most, most faithful reading to the text. All I can really say, because I'm being as subjective as the next person, is to recognize the role of the Spirit, right? Uh, for our time to be present in my life, but it's also not just individual individualistic do you know what i mean so one of the uh, i think i think just being aware of maybe our own uh, biases or being aware of our own uh, cultural i don't know what you want to call it boundary like like horizons like we're products of our own time and place and that's not a negative thing but to recognize that we live in a time and a place that is uh, very much focused on on me and myself and and the individual right like we we have a bent or a bias towards individualism and is to recognize that actually scripture or our readings of how should we read the Bible, those things come to us mediated through the communities that we're a part of. So let me, let me say it for our audience, right? Like we're part of a particular community, Pacific Academy, uh, for, for good or ill. Um, there's some positive things. There's some, some baggage that people have to deal with. I often talk about this. Um, but for good or ill, the, for whatever length of time you as a student have been here or you're on staff or what have you, we're part of the PA community, that has molded and shaped us probably more in unconscious ways than ways that we're even aware of, right? Yeah, um, yeah like we, we rub shoulders uh, when we're not quarantined, uh, right? Literally, like with people and ideas and we grapple. And so there's, there's a, a biblical theme, the idea of iron sharpening iron, 
right? And that's that community building. And I think there's something to us being the people of God, right? That God is redeeming a people. And so that is going to look and sound and feel um, different. I know I'm starting to, to drift maybe a little bit into what we were talking about um, in one of the chapel sessions, right? Which was, I think it was like the spectrum where they were talking about like how we read the Bible and its authority and stuff. But the one example I can think of that's relevant for PA is the idea of like, what is this biblical theme around uh, sort of like living quiet, modest, humble lives, like humility, humbleness, um, not full of pride, um, moderate, modest in a lot of ways. That looks and sounds different in 21st century Canada than it does even in 18th century Canada, let alone flying across the world uh, to another context. That's going to look and sound uh, different. And people are being faithful, but it might, it might actually stretch me, right? It might be uncomfortable. I'm just, this is just my conjecture. Like, I don't actually know this, right. but I have this sense that we will spend eternity, whatever eternity looks like, learning. Yeah. I don't know if we ever do fully arrive. Like, I think that's, that's part of, um, like, there's this, and again, I want to go to scripture. Like, it's not, it's not like I'm just outside and then scripture, I just pick it when I want. Like, the scriptures talk about angelic beings, like heavenly angelic beings that are constantly inquiring into what God is like. Like, that's sort of this, like, one of these divine celestial visions that someone has and as the angels are they're constantly learning and looking into the mysteries of god like god is always mysterious right um at the same time and i can take the words of the apostle paul and take okay how does that fit into when paul talks about right now we see uh through like th looking through a glass dimly right like it's we're not we're, things are fuzzy they're not fully in focus and he says, one day we will see in full. We will see things clearly. It's like suddenly, aha, the light will go on. Uh, or to mix the metaphor, we'll have 20-20 vision. And suddenly we, we actually do see. So hold those things in tension, right? Constantly learning and growing. And things will be fully revealed uh, right. in, in due time. One thing you said, how we're products of our culture and time. And how maybe that's mm -hmm. one thing that makes the glass blurry. Yeah. Uh, what do you have to say about our religion at both PA, but also in, I guess you could say, the Western Hemisphere? Wouldn't you say that it's a result of, uh, it's very much European Christianity that was... Yeah, now you're getting into our course a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are the dangers of not mm. being aware of this fact? One of the, okay, probably the greatest danger is and i'm speaking as a quote western christian sitting in the quote west um, is to think or to be under the working assumption that we are the normative representation of what it means to be a jesus follower on this planet i don't just mean historically i mean right now in may of 2020 um, most christians most followers of jesus who seek to be a discipled and apprenticed in the way of Jesus, do not speak the language we're speaking right now. They certainly don't have my skin color. Um, they don't even live in this hemisphere, right? Like the, the, what we would call the demographics, the, the 
demographics of the global church has shifted or the center of gravity has shifted to the global south, the developing world, whatever you want to call it. And that's, uh, that's where the dynamic, call it growth, uh, or sort of the, the cutting edge of Christianity is right now. And you've studied a little bit of the history of the church with me in another context uh, to know that that has not always been the case, but that it's this constant shifting center of gravity. So uh, that's, a, um, that's a blind spot for us, right? Is that we, we can have the assumption that uh, this, is, this is what Christianity looks and sounds and, and feels like. That's not to say that we don't have something to offer to the global church, right? Um, and, and I think there is um, Christianity, you mentioned European, so sort of the, the trajectory from European into North American uh, Christianity has, has been the biggest sort of injection or infusion into the church of certainly economic prosperity, right? And technological ability, those types of things. So those things have, have shaped and molded Christian faith just as much as, going back to what we were talking about earlier, transatlantic slavery is a, is a deep stain on Western Christianity, right? Or particularly racialized, right? Like this idea of blending together um, racial superiority, right? Imperial ambition, of European-based civilizations with their version of God. We need to be aware of that both historically and in our, in our present tense. One other thing I would say um, is, again, remember we were talking at the beginning about this balance between like, there's like the people who see like nothing good with religion and then other people who see it like this is the solution that will solve everything. Yeah. The, same, the same can be said of sort of the, our understanding of the Christian, the Christian past, right? That, that somehow, well, white, English-speaking, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, European, evangelical Christianity, whatever labels you want to affix to that, that it's sort of irredeemable. Like it's like that has been a scourge and uh, we have to sort of throw that all off. No, 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 like there, there have been contributions you know of some of them we don't have to go into you know uh like around the great awakenings and and uh, religious revivals in american colonies in north america in england uh the rise of hymnody and church music and these have been gifts to the global church like in in one sense so it's not all or nothing i, I guess at the end of the day i reject a whole bunch of binaries right about yeah. absolute good absolute evil um which itself is is taken from that's kind of a, a judeo-christian way of viewing things right it's like the devil on one shoulder and the you know the angel on the other shoulder that that's a really constructed idea of how we we approach things so to be aware of those as, as pitfalls in i i used the word before being faithful what does it mean to be what does it mean be, to be a faithful follower of jesus guys for joining our conversation about the church with Mr. McFarland. Again, there's lots to think about. I hope you guys are asking questions. Uh, if you're interested, we will be continuing our conversation next week. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.